Anyone here a gardener? Anyone like to garden? Hypothetically speaking, you may not have gardening space right now, but you like it. Well, my dad actually is an avid gardener, has been for, for many years. And when we were growing up, when I was growing up in Northeast Ohio, he found a way to, uh, to grow uh, um, some amazing fruits and vegetables out of the clay-like soil of Northeast Ohio. For, for years, I watched him get his hands dirty, his clothes dirty in the, uh, the compost, the mulch, the soil, and the fertilizer. And out of the mess of our garden grew lettuce, broccoli, raspberries, strawberries, snap peas, and, and some other fruits and vegetables. And one of the things I just saw was just how much gardening really is a messy miracle. Gardening is a messy miracle, isn't it? Forgiveness is also a messy miracle. And that's the, because people are messy and relationships are messy. And then when you add in hurt and sin, the mess seems to compound even more. And that's a problem for us because we don't like messiness. We don't like drama. We like things to be clean and simple. And so maybe some of you have ever heard of that Joni Mitchell line from her song. Um, she says, uh, they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. We, uh, we like to pave over uh, situations that get messy because they don't like the mess. So rather than embrace the mess, we, we, we pave over it and we miss out on the miracle. How does this happen? Well, we'll say one spouse betrays the other through pornography use. And rather than face the, just the, the terror of, of the confession and the slow process of grieving together and rebuilding trust, they just kind of pretend it's all fine and then slowly grow apart. Or what about a, a creative partnership that begins with mutual admiration and fun and um, a lot of hope, but then sort of egos clash and tensions arise and then the partners abandon the project as well as the partnership. Two friends have a falling out. And instead of just going to each other and addressing it directly, they, um, they triangulate in their friend group and they try to win over their friends to take their side of the story. Or what about an older brother who leaves for college and seems to forget about his younger sister who idolizes him? And, and she goes from, from really looking up to him to resenting him and for the next 30 years, she just gives him the cold shoulder at family gatherings and their kids don't really hang out. Most of the time, you know what happens was we just pave over the mess by ignoring it to keep the peace. Little offenses that we commit or little offenses that other people commit. And we're just like, I don't really want to get into it with this person. I, let's just pretend everything's okay. And so we pave over the mess. But when we pave over the mess, we also miss out on the miracles. We miss out on the fruit that could come from these situations, all the growth and the life and the ways that the Lord could meet us. Now, Jesus himself brought forth a lot of messy miracles. And one of those messy miracles is named Peter. He's the messiest miracle of them all. And so, you know what I like about Peter is that he is just a mess. He's a, he is a twist of complications. He's brave and cowardly. He's wise and obnoxious. He's got high highs and low lows. Peter's story reminds me of the old Shakespeare quote from All's Well That Ends Well. 
The web of our life is a mingled yarn. Good and ill together, our virtues would be proud if our faults whipped them not. And, and we see this play out in Peter's life. Right before Jesus gets arrested, he and Peter have uh, one of their final conversations before Jesus is crucified. And Peter told Jesus that he wanted to go to the cross with, with Jesus. And, and the reason is that um, he really wanted to be there for Jesus's special moment. This is Jesus's finest hour. When he's going to glorify the Father, he's going to draw all people to himself. And it's like that moment, the big moment in the game when you're like, put me in, coach. Final two minutes of the game, and this is the point where it really matters. And, and Peter had followed Jesus everywhere for three years. And so Peter's like, I don't want to miss out on this very special moment. And he intended to go, and he intended even to die with Jesus. So verse 36 Simon Peter, uh, uh, of John 13, 36, we've got three snippets from the Gospel of John. You can read them all in your bulletins um, in your Gospel reading. John 13, 36, Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter says to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus responds, will you? Like, are you actually going to lay down your life for me? I'm, I'm saying to you truly, as, as strongly as I can say this, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. Peter says, I'm ready for the glories of martyrdom, giving my life as a literal offering to God. Peter, Peter wants this, and he thinks he's ready. Um, he wants to do something great for God. Many of us do as well. We want to do something really important for the Lord. And, and, and in response, Jesus is, is neither going to, he's not going to put Peter on a pedestal, nor is he going to insult Peter and, and demonize him. He's going to just, he sees Peter for who he actually is and what he's actually ready to do. And he knows that like at this stage of his growth, Peter's not ready for the cross. And it's not God's plan for him right now anyway. It's not his time and he's not ready for it. And so he says, no, Peter, you just can't follow me. You cannot do it right now. And now a few hours after this conversation, Jesus, he's been hauled off to the high priest's court. And this is around, around 3 a.m. Jesus is being questioned in sort of a, a kangaroo court trial in the high priest's court and in the courtyard Peter is, is, is uh, warming himself by the fire. And, and he has, in the middle of the night, around 3 a.m., one of the worst moments of his entire life, just a few hours after, his first, after this conversation with Jesus about, I'll do anything for you, I'll go to the cross with you. Here's what happens. John 18, verse 25. Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by the charcoal fire. Um, and so they said to him, hey, you're not one of these disciples, are you? No, 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 I'm not. But then the servant of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, wait a second, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter, no way, I don't know him, I'm not with him. Rooster crows. A, a fellow pastor once said to me this, he said, Aaron, I've seen so many Christian leaders that I used to respect walk into powerful rooms with people who have a lot of power and wealth 
and check their integrity at the door. Because, and why? Because they get so intoxicated with the people that they're afraid of and also the people that they desire to be included by. And so they, and so they check their integrity at the door, not through massive acts of you know, immorality, but just simply by subtly denying their faith in the moment. Because they're in an environment that plays to all of their insecurities. And I think maybe this is the dynamics at play here with Peter. Peter goes from the disciples' upper room into friendly ter- or unfriendly territory, very unfriendly territory. And he's huddled up here to this, to this group of people that he wants to, like, just, he just wants to fit in. He doesn't want to stand out. His master is now being tried. Looks like things are going downhill for him. And Peter just, he's just, he does not want to die. And so his survival instincts kick in. And I'm not with that guy. No way. Someone else gives him a curious look. I think I recognize you. Didn't you cut off my cousin's ear? And Peter says, look, you've got the wrong guy. I pledge to you. I, I don't know him from Adam. And, and uh, Luke tells us, actually, a different, a different biographer of Jesus tells us that Jesus looks over at him and they make eye contact right in that moment, right when the, when the rooster is crowing. Worst moment of his life, totally failed his master, totally failed the test, turns out that he wasn't ready. Kind of a tragic turn after three years of being the like alpha disciple who will do anything Jesus asks and go anywhere where Jesus wants to go and makes the boldest declarations about who Jesus is. Um, has anyone let you down after you trusted them? Um, have they broken a promise to you? Have they lied? Have they fell short? Or maybe we've been Peter. We've been the one who lets the people down that they looked up to us or they trusted us and we let them down and we broke a promise. Sometimes we've been the one who've checked our integrity at the door so that we could be included in the inner ring. Either way, these moments stink. It's like compost. It's like um, so messy. Peter is a mess. I'm a mess. Some of you are a mess. If our lives were laid bare, like Peter's life is laid bare here, you know, we, we have the privilege of not being a character in the gospel story, you know, or our, good, our bad moments are, are recorded for all of human history. But if they were, and all of our highs and all of our lows written about and unfolded so that we could see them and so that other people could see them, we would see just how much of a mingled yarn our lives really are, wouldn't we? And you know, actually, that's what relationships do. Relationships lay bare a human soul. If you go deep enough with someone, if you know them long enough, if you live enough life with them, you see the highs and the lows. You see the good and the bad. You don't just see what's in the glossy brochure about this person. You see the reality of this person. The closer we get, the more we see the mess in others and in ourselves. And so, you know, Jesus, he's, he's a pretty relational guy. He walks with people over the long course of their life and he doesn't push them away just because they're messy. And so Jesus had every right to, you know, after going through this with Peter, to be like, you know what? I've had enough. 
had enough of the high highs. I've had enough of the low lows. You're out. And um, he just put up with a lot, like three strikes. I told you it would happen and you still did it. But the thing is that it's moments like this where you really see the miracle. It's the moments like this of, of like the lowest moment of your life. Jesus loves it, I think, when we get to the lowest moment of our life. Because he's like, this is the best part. This is where all the soil and the compost and the fertilizer come together to bear good fruit. And so there's miracles in this moment of great mess. And of all the miracles Jesus performed, well, first of all, they were all messy. None of them were clean and simple, right? But this miracle, I think, is the favorite miracle I have of Jesus Christ. The miracle of forgiving and restoring Peter. You know, Jesus, um, after he was resurrected, he sets everything up in advance. Kind of like a, someone who would set a stage, like where you want everything to communicate. Every, every element in the story communicates something about Peter's life and history and future. So you've got the fishing, the all-night fishing that he's doing, ending with the miraculous catch, just like the moment when Peter really first was converted to Jesus and began to follow him. Jesus sets up a charcoal fire, just like that night when Peter betrayed uh, Jesus. And then he's got a breakfast set up on the familiar shores of Galilee. And I, I think that this is the perfect setting for Jesus to capture Peter's heart and restore his calling. Um, because um, that's what Jesus does best. He's the one who, hold, I, our lives could be a mix of contradictions, but you know who, who holds everything together and gives our life a center and a purpose and a calling is Jesus Christ. And so he's capturing everything about Peter in this one moment. He's going to restore his heart. He's going to restore his calling. And it's going to be a miracle. Peter's life matters to Jesus. Peter may have had good moments, bad moments, contradictions, ups and downs. But, but now it's time to move beyond the three denials into something better. And so John 21 verse 15 says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Now, for three years, Peter had, had like done his best to be the top disciple of Jesus, to love Jesus more than all of the other disciples loved Jesus. The first to confess that Jesus is Messiah, the one who was like willing to walk on water. And Jesus asks him, do you love me more than, I believe that he means more than these other disciples love me. And Peter's chastened reply has no comparison in it. He simply says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He, he confesses his love, but he's not comparing himself anymore. And so Jesus commissions him, feed my lambs. Later, he'll say, feed my sheep. Jesus forgives Peter. That's miracle one. And then Jesus commissions Peter. That's miracle two. And all the miracles of Jesus will continue to sprout through Peter's life like a bumper crop of tomat tomatoes that it's still happening in October and November. It's like tomatoes, tomatoes, tomatoes. If you have a garden right now, you know they're still growing. Peter's life is like that bumper crop where he's just going to continue to bear fruit for the rest of his life. 
You think about all of the lives that were impacted by this one beachside moment of forgiveness. The 3,000 men and women and children and beyond who were forgiven by Jesus in one day when Peter preached his evangelistic sermon on Pentecost. Or what about how Peter stopped church corruption in its tracks when he called out Ananias and Sapphira in the middle of a worship service? Now, one of the little lambs that Peter would uh, take under his wing after this moment was a guy named John Mark. John Mark's a really interesting guy. Peter poured everything into John Mark, called him his son. And uh, John Mark really flourished under Peter's discipleship. And you know what happened is that John Mark actually got connected to the Apostle Paul and one, was one of the inaugural team members of, Paul, of the Apostle Paul's missionary journey. And so, I mean, think of that pedigree. It's like you get mentored by the Apostle Peter and then you get to team up with the Apostle Paul. Like that is an amazing, um, like, just opportunity that you would have to be formed as a Christian. But then something happened. I don't exactly know what happened. But the apostle, but right in the, a critical moment in the Apostle Paul's missionary life, you know, John Mark abandoned him and just left him. And we don't know why, but it was enough of an offense to the Apostle Paul that actually like the, the Apostle Paul Barnabas team, like they split up over this. It was a major conflict. It was a major controversy. And so John Mark caused a lot of pain in the early church. He was as messy as his mentor, as John, you know? But then something happened. And again, I don't know all the details, but eventually the apostle Paul forgave Mark and, and said, send him, he's useful. Isn't that cool? And then eventually John Mark was able to give one of his lasting gifts to the church is uh, just a work that's had profound impact on Western civilization and has brought many, many people to Jesus Christ. And he wrote the gospel of Mark, which was based off of Peter's preaching. So, you know, this is one of the little lambs, one of the little miracles that's going to come after the miracle of Jesus forgiving Peter. Peter's going to invest in Another messy person, John Mark. High highs and low lows, right? That's all of us. It's all of us. We're all a mess. And through Jesus, you know, he does some miracles through us. Feed my lambs, Peter. Tend my sheep. Let me show you the messy miracle of forgiveness. And just imagine if Peter in this moment had said, you know what, Lord? Forget it. I, I'm, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I'm too much of a mess. If he had rejected Jesus's forgiveness, sometimes we struggle with this. We, don't, we won't forgive ourselves, which means we won't agree with the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. Um, we, I think sometimes even more so pave over the mess of our own life. We just withhold ourselves from, from the Lord. We withhold ourselves from other people because we're like, you know what? It's too much. I'm too much of a mess. I can't even forgive myself. Um, this is why I love Jesus really presses in to the threefold denial of Peter by asking him three times, do you love me? Um, do you love me? And in fact, um, verse 17 says, Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Um, I think this, this allowed this threefold question, it allowed Peter to grieve the deny, and we need to be able to do that 
it's important for us not to pave over the ways in which we've let other people down, but actually to enter into the pain, to confess it, to grieve it together. This is an important part of the messy miracle. We all need this. We need this for all of the ways that we have let other people down. All of the ways that we've hurt others, all of the times when we have checked our integrity at the door or made a foolish choice, all the times that we've knowingly blocked the voice of Jesus and done what we wanted, not was he, what he was calling us to do. We need a lot of grace to enter into these conversations with Jesus and the people that we've let down to receive the messy miracle of forgiveness for ourselves. I think some of us need hope for this to happen. The hope that Jesus would not simply remain disappointed in us after we have let him and others down, but that he has a noble purpose for us. Every single one of us, no matter where we're at in our journey with him, he's got a purpose for us, just like he had for Peter and for John Mark and for so many other messy people. Because Jesus is just oozing grace for Peter here and for us. Um, he's already shed his precious blood on the cross for Peter to cover Peter's denials of him. He's already risen to life to impart Peter his power that is perfected in weakness. Jesus' power doesn't avoid weakness. It's perfected in weakness. It's perfected in your weakness and in my weakness. He's ready to forgive us. He's ready to, to get the bumper crop going where right now there's only mess. That's where all of the growth is. That's where all of the miracles are. You know what's interesting is that all Peter wanted to do, like back in chapter 13, all he wanted to do was go to the cross for Jesus. All he wanted to do to go, was, to go to his, was to follow Jesus into death. And he wasn't ready that time. But there would come a time when he would do it. And Jesus even told him, you're going to get your chance. And verses uh, 18 and 19, Jesus says, there's going to come a time when you're old, where you're not going to be able to like be in charge of your, even your own life anymore. You're not going to be able to dress yourselves anymore. Someone's going to lead you where you don't want to go. You're going to stretch out your arms. And Jesus said, and, and uh, John's commentary on this was, this was, this was uh, Jesus telling Peter about the death that would glorify God, the kind of death that Peter would die that would glorify God. So Peter would follow Jesus to the cross, but it won't, wouldn't be for his own glory this time. It would be for the glory of God this time. That was Jesus's vision for Peter, that um, when, when Peter was going to the cross, it would not be for, for Peter's bravado or to prove anything. It would be to glorify God. And this is the best part of the messy miracles of our lives, that when we are fulfilling our call to Jesus and when we are restored and when our lives become miraculous, guess what? It is no longer for our own glory. And that's hard for us, isn't it? If we want to do great things for God or we want to please other people because we do want to be thought well of. We want our lives to mean something. We all struggle with this. And I think one of the reasons that the Lord chooses to do messy miracles rather than clean, paved over, clean and simple miracles is because he knows this is a necessary part of us glorifying God and not ourselves. 
Um, so, uh, what kind of forgiveness are we called to right now? You know, forgiveness is a messy miracle and all of us are called to participate in it. Um, so what's the mess right now in your own life? Maybe it's someone else's mess and uh, you need to forgive them. You need to forgive this person. They let you down, you trusted them, and they turned out to be untrustworthy. And the temptation right now whether it's a big offense or a small offense, is just pave over it. Just forget it. Just pretend it didn't happen. And maybe distance yourself from them ever so slightly. And so we say, Lord, would you help me actually no longer avoid this messy conversation? Would you help me go directly to this person and help them see how they've offended me like we talked about last week? And maybe it's your own mess and you're struggling with shame and self-hatred and anger and trying to cover and compensate for whatever ways that you've let others down or yourself down or the Lord down, um, this is a moment actually for you to repent, repent of your sin and respond to the invitation of Jesus to make amends for ways that you've let others down and to follow his path of repentance. Rather than pretending it didn't happen, actually facing the moment and facing the person whom you have let down and actually go to them and say, would you forgive me? Actually, I, I need your forgiveness. Maybe it's a combination of your mess and someone else's mess and you've got an unresolved relationship. Maybe someone's heart has grown hard towards you or you towards them and there's been a lot of complication and a lot of sin and a lot of hurt there's a saying I learned uh, from someone who is in the world of Christian mediation. Christian mediation is where you, you come in not just to messy situations, but really, really ugly situations where there's been a lot of drama and where there's been a lot of betrayal and where there's the like factions forming. And this individual said they had a saying that because they would come in and really lead people to reconciliation or lead people to, to, to doing what's right. And, um, of course, they would get discouraged along the way because, you know, of the mess. And they had this saying, never forget, brothers and sisters, we are one repentance away from a spectacular reconciliation. One repentance away, one soft heart away from a spectacular reconciliation. We've got to remember that too. You know, because we're all in the world of, if we're following Jesus, we're all in the world of Christian mediation. For most of us, it's really, it's real simple. It's simply not losing heart when things get messy. It's not piecing out when things get messy. It's not disengaging when things get messy. It's moving right into the mess and asking Jesus to give us a miracle. Um, on October 6th or October 2nd, 2006, Matt Swatzel had finished a 24-hour shift as a firefighter in Georgia. And he was heading home, understandably, totally exhausted. For about two or three seconds, he dozed off, crossed the center line, and struck the car that was coming from the other direction. In that car was um, a young mother named June, who was seven months pregnant, as well as her daughter, Faith, who was 19 months old. And Faith survived, her mother and younger sibling did not. Prosecutors um, approached 
the grieving husband, whose name is Eric Fitzgerald, with the opportunity to pursue the maximum sentence against Swatzel. And Eric later said this. I remember someone said this in a sermon. In moments where tragedy happens or even hurt, there's opportunities to demonstrate grace or exact vengeance. And Fitzgerald said, here was an opportunity where I could do that. And I chose to demonstrate grace. Now, these men never spoke during the court process. Um, he, he didn't ask for the maximum sentence. And, um, but at the two-year anniversary of June's death, the wife and uh, as well as the, the unborn child, they, uh, they actually, these two men had a chance encounter in the parking lot of a convenience store. Um, Matt was there to buy a condolence card for Eric and, and for Grace, the surviving daughter. And, and he was in his truck just bawling his eyes out. And so Eric, the grieving father, happened to be in that parking lot and he saw him crying in his truck. And so Eric came over to the truck and just, just called him out and just gave him a hug. And he said, I forgive you. I, forg I have forgiven you. Don't let this define your life. And he just, he just held, he just held him and let him cry. And, um, and Matt, like in his sobbing, released two years of grief and shame and, and self-hatred. Um, and he said later, this was, that moment was the biggest relief I've ever felt in my life. Now, would you believe it? This, this led to hours of conversation. They, they talked about their experience of this whole tragedy and they just like, they talked it out. And, and in fact, they became close friends after that. They, you know what happened is they started spending the holidays together. And in fact, um, when, when Matt got married and, and had kids of his own, do you know who like played with his kids? Was the surviving daughter. She would like hold his little kids and play with them and, and love on them. Um, you know, we do make such a mess of our lives. We make such a mess of this world through, through dumb choices, sometimes intentional choices, sometimes outright foolishness or wickedness. And the impact is real. The grieving is real. The pain is real. Yet of all the miracles that Jesus Christ performs, I think this one is my favorite one. It's the messy miracle of forgiveness. That doesn't have to be as dramatic as the story of Matt and Eric. Most of the time, it's, it's a lot less dramatic. But it's still touching our hearts and it's still impacting our relationships. And may we never forget that because of the cross of Jesus Christ and because he rose from the dead, we are one repentance away from a spectacular reconciliation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.